ladies and gentlemen. You may not have heard of their names before, but after this episode, you will certainly know who they are. For certain, you've seen films that have been inspired by the work of these two men. I can see the limousine pulling up now. Our metal gates to our society are opening, and the limousine is pulling into our driveway. And for the first time in the history of our show, the great British dynamic writing-director duo of Powell and Pressburgers on the show, ladies and gentlemen, with their 1947 film, Black Narcissus. But that's not all. After that, we're moving on to another film, a film that is breaking records. Ladies and gentlemen, he now holds the record for most appearances on Dead Cinema Society. Mr. Charlie Kaufman returns to the show with his directorial debut, Synecdoche, New York. But that's not it. There's one more. In the main event slot of today's show, we are bringing back another director that's been on the show before, the Chilean master. These opinions are of my own, my own and are not reflected by anyone else that are a part of the society. These are all my only, only my own opinions. The dance of reality, ladies and gentlemen. Alejandro Jodorowsky took 28 years off of making films, and he took only 12 shows off of appearing on the Dead Cinema Society. And now he's back with the dance of reality in our main event slot. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. To Dead Cinema Society 14 Dreamweavers. And this film is all about wanting to be in someone else's skin. It was the most piece of trash film. Like, I'm like, oh, like, what's the cost of freedom? Have you seen this? She's a fucking nut job. Thank you for joining us today. If you've never been with us before, this is Dead Cinema Society, and this is how it works. We are a confluence of curious individuals who come together and watch three films every two weeks. We give our own personal tastes, our own personal rankings on these films, and then the four of us combine our four opinions to make a mean average ranking, which ends up being what this film is ranked forever on our website, deadcinemasociety.com. If you want to keep the students in the classroom and you like what we're doing here, we appreciate it. Visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash deadcinemasociety. Give us anything you want, 5 cents, 10 cents, 15 cents, 20 cents, 30 cents, 40 cents, 50 cents, $40. $40? Oh my God, Aaron, you're giving me a heart attack. Let's give us $40. Go. If you want to give us $40, we, we will do something with it. Something for you. Um, we really appreciate you being here. So let me introduce you guys to the society. Former radio host, improv specialist, Paul Jackson. I'm going to ask you a question, Paul. Sure. 2021, this is our second show of the year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask each of you guys this question. The question is this. What are your goals for 2021 to improve yourself as a film reporter? Yoshi, you must have been a fly on the wall as I watched all of these movies because for this week, because all three of these films summarized exactly what I missed in 2020 and certainly what I learned in 2020. So my goal for 2021 is to actually bring to life the centerpiece, the thesis of what we are all about, which if in fact we are all about the revitalization of cinema away from, out from entertainment, 
My goal this year is that Chris will not be burdened with all the historical context for a movie. Aaron will not be burdened with all the cinematographic content for a movie. And that you, Yoshi, will not be burdened with all the thematic, super cool content that otherwise is missed by the average moviegoer. So my goals this year is to carry the load for the other three of you as we move forward and be sure that each week I am voicing exactly why we are meeting to discuss film. That is as good of a goal as one can have, and we appreciate that, Paul. This show could not exist without you, so don't beat yourself up too hard for winning most... Uh, uh, what was the award that he won? Most, most kind? Agreeable? Most agreeable reporter Most of 2020. Uh, we've already seen in the last episode that you are making some 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 shifts in how you approach critiquing these films. Moving on, a model, an actor, a uh, photographer, Aaron Mann. What do you look to improve in 2021 in how you approach the show? Hey, thank you for the intro, Yosh. Um, I am pumped for 2021. Uh, it's all, already off to a great start with uh, a launch of my own book review YouTube channel. So I'm very excited about that. Check that and, out. Aaron uh, Mann on YouTube. That's two ends. Check that two out. Two ends. Uh, I, I named my channel A Man's Journey. So I'm very <laughs> excited to expand um, that brand of myself. Um, but in terms of our society, I will be improving by using my own camera. Um, as Paul graciously pointed out, uh, cinematography is my vein, and that is where my passions lie. So I look forward this year to starting to use my own camera in the ways I've seen done many times in such a masterful way. So I am going to start using my camera and getting cinematic shots and testing my uh, directorial skills. Uh, so I am very excited. The show is bleeding into our real lives. And yes. last but not least, mm. the chief producer at play, the man who keeps the wheels turning behind the scenes. He is a dungeon master, a writer, and he works for the one and only Snapchat Towers that keeps us all enslaved in our little basements. Just kidding. I think of all the of all the, the big uh, social media platforms out there, Snapchat's like the least worried about. So you work for the good guys, Chris. Chris, what do you look to improve as far as film reporting goes in 2021? I hope to have a better understanding of why I do not like something. I hope to have a better understanding of why things make me feel the way they do in that. So I basically want to give a movie a chance, even though that I have distaste or disgust in my mouth. And we'll get into <laughs> that later. <laughs> uh, okay. And I am Yoshi. I am an actor and filmmaker and I have been thinking about this question. Um, and I think uh, there, there's just two parts to my answer. A, I want to have a more mature and fair response um, to my uh, attempts at articulating my opinions. So I don't want to uh, share my opinions and I want to be more aware of how I'm coming off because, because I can, I can sometimes uh, disregard 
uh, you know, people's interpretations of, of how I am behaving. And sometimes I think I come off maybe a little arrogant, uh, but the truth is, is that I want to bring more attention to how I'm articulating myself with this show. And I want to have a more mature response when, um, I believe that, uh, a film is not getting the respect it deserves. And I'm certainly going to be tested today. <laughs> um, and part B to my answer is going to be that I want to bring more attention to all the parts of a movie and not just its director, actors, and themes, which is typically what I rest my head on. But I want to bring more attention to the directors of photography, um, the editor, and whatever else might stick out in the viewing. So with all that said and done, um, let's get the show started. Chris, what's our lineup for today? Well, Yoshi, I am so glad that you asked. Our lineup today, we are going to start with Black Narcissus, a 1947 film about nuns who move into a kind of uh, less than ideal situation in Mopu, India. Uh, a former house of women is converted into a nunnery in a school. Next, we move on to the co-made event slot with Charlie Kaufman's, as you already have established, his directorial debut in Synecdoche, New York, a study in a one failings man, uh, wow, one failings man, one man's failing to uh, deliver what he wants in life and how he gets swept up in this large theater production that folds in on itself and then folds out like so many origami cranes. And then our oh, main event okay. slot, we <laughs> will go to Dance of Reality, the Alejandro Jodorowsky return piece, the 2000 return piece. The Chilean French filmmaker takes us through a semi autobiographical story of his growing up in the town of Topio, or however that is said. I am very bad at pronouncing things. And that is where we're going. Okay, maybe add to your list of improvements for 2021 is your pronunciation of, of foreign cities Hegemony. 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 Uh, just kidding, Chris. You're great at pronunciations. I'm not. So right there with you. Okay, so to our first clip we go. This is Black Narcissus. Black Narcissus, 1946. Powell and Pressburger, England. I suppose you know who I am. You must be Mr. Dean. I must. And you must be the Sister Superior. What curious feathers. Are they all from the birds that you've shot? I don't shoot birds. When you've shot everything, it palls, doesn't it? I'm the general's agent. He welcomes you to Mopu. Understood you wanted to see me. We want to talk to you on business. I didn't suppose you want to talk to me on anything else. Man, Black Narcissus. Uh, so as I've already stated before, Black Narcissus from 1947 follows the study of Sister Clo uh, Cloda? Cloda? Yes, Cloda. A lot of the these pronunciations. are getting, Back to the pronunciations, <laughs> man. Back to the Sister Cloda. Uh, a young a sister superior who is given control over the House of Women in Mopu, which is this very 
weirdly spiritual site already it was a former uh, place where the local general mm. would keep his concubines there's mm -hmm. a house of pleasure uh, in that it has fallen in disrepair and with the recent uh, british conquest of india it has been given over to the local shah or the local general as it were uh, to be given to the the catholic church and they are sent there and as soon as you get to this place it becomes apparent these nuns who coincidentally enough only take their vows every year and they are not beholden to everything start to have their humanity brought out from them as we follow uh, sister cloda dealing with everything in under the sun the local wildlife the local population otherworldly things that affect their commitment to god that is black narcissus mm -hmm. black narcissa uh, we call the uh the main woman uh sister lemony they they were using that throughout I the film i think that might have been a like uh what's that called like a nickname or something yeah sister lemony well the little kid right yeah. her assistant yeah well right. her name is uh sister Clu clodow right cloda Cloda, Sister Cloda. We okay. could all call, also call her Deborah Kerr. <laughs> Deborah ah. Kerr. Um, okay, so on to our sponsors. This is the part of the show where our sponsors host um, a platform totally for us to. Yeah. Uh, Chris, One Chris, day. I definitely pay for this. <laughs> there you go, Chris. Exactly. You do not pay shit. They pay for it. <laughs> And they send us. Uh, uh, sorry about that, folks. Over to yeah. our sponsors who pay us all a handsome salary. Yes. Swiftpolling.com. Um, we are in. And uh, let me just join. All right. So, swiftpolling.com, our sponsors. And Yosh gives Black Narcissus a 7.6 from Yosh. There we go. There 7.6 from Yosh. At ease. At ease. At ease. All right. Fair. Fair. Chris gives Black Narcissus a yes. That's why people people listen and they tune in for these these technological editorial. Well, why don't you try putting it on your phone or on on the or on the laptop, whatever whatever you have dropping there? Yeah, that's what I had to do. My phone's not working. Okay, Aaron, we'll go to you. All right, Aaron gave it a Are you serious? Yeah, well, I think I don't know what right, the fuck. Yeah, I'll try it maybe again. when they they might not have cut our checks this week, so <laughs> I try I Hold tried hey, <laughs> hey, 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 to tell us something. Five. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Okay, right. so Aaron's, Aaron and I are right next to each other there. All right, Paul, let's just do Paul, you again. I'm just going to hit submit and see if this goes through. Hey! Okay, there we go. There we go. All right. Wow. wow. We're all Jesus kind of in Christ. that middle to like a C to a C plus so far. Let's see right. if Chris is, is with us or against us here. Well, are you for us? Or if you're not with me, then you're against me. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> Chris gives it a six point four. Uh, okay, so yeah, for Chris okay. it was a it was a bit more of a struggle, mm. and now we're watching yes. a movie. What's going on here? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the most best it's, show we've done. It's the best show. All okay. right, look at that. So, this. 
All right, folks. We got a 6.4, The average for Black Narcissus is 7.4. Yeah. There you go. 7.4. Right and we give seven, points four. to Aaron for being closest. So. That's right. Oh, so now we're all even. One to one to one to one. Hey. All right. And, uh, Bam. Is anyone keeping track of that or should I? I got it. Paul, are you doing that? Yes, I am keeping track. Here, there it is. I, I, so we're it's funny. I've got this. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Black Narcissus gets a 7-4 from the society. Um, myself, Aaron, and Paul gave it between a C and a C plus, and, and Chris struggled with it a little bit more. So I'm going to start with Paul on this one, being a 7-9 from Paul. I want to know, part one of the question is, what was your experience throughout the film? Uh, from beginning to end, as far mm -hmm. as your energy is going, as far as your attention span goes. And then after watching the film, what sort of uh, researches were you moved to make? Where did this film take you intellectually? Uh, both great questions and both fitting. And for the benefit of viewers and listeners, if you've been following along, uh, at least two or three times during last year, I was so moved by a movie whether I scored it high or not, to read the book, uh, to start to do some research. Uh, we, as a society, were forming our voice, and everybody was trying to find their roles. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, we sort of defaulted to certain roles. My contribution was the feeling and my personal history towards a movie being the elder statesman here. To your first point, Yoshi, for something for people either to relate to or not, I'm watching the movie, um, not on a big screen, I'm watching it on, it, first it moved from a phone then to a computer, but throughout, I was captivated. Oh, when, when, whoa, Chris, whoa. when Chris talked about the intro to this movie, about the, um, that this was, that there was a, uh, a king here in this, in this um, palace, for a period of time and the iconography that was up on the wall and the clear like suggestion that uh, this was a harem and there were concubines. I, I was like, okay, there's something going on here, but I don't know how far Mike, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger can go with this movie, but I'm, I'm, I'm on board. And I, so I moved from phone to computer because I now had to do research. So this movie to answer your, so the first part, I was on board with this movie throughout the whole time because I thought as a society, we might look at this melodramatic piece and it would get a big thumbs down. I am heartened by the fact that, you know, that the four of us have found an aggregate score of about seven, four that I think reflects where we are as a society and our appreciation for film. So where it took me to your second question, Yoshi was, the history of melodrama. It took me to movie ratings. It took me to World War II. It took me to what did British producers have in mind when they put a movie in theaters? So again, before TV was finding its way, and certainly there were no cell phones, but it was men at war, women going to the movies, and what did they need to see? And the history of British cinema from the 1920s forward. Now, just to orient our audience, our listening and viewing audience. This movie was released in 1947. Uh, I will not steal any 
historical thunder from Chris on this show. I'm sure he'll want to get to that. If he doesn't, we'll get to it as a group. But Yoshi, I'll, I'll be succinct here and just say that it's fascinating. The, the a mellow, melodrama, I, in my 20s and 30s, never watched American melodrama. Douglas Sirk, uh, some of those great movies he did with Rock Hudson, uh, Imitation of Life, just these stories of a couple together, but she's longing for someone else. I used to laugh at those movies. Uh, Black Narcissus had so many moments where I said, I need to study what's going on here. It took me into not only British history, which I'm sure Chris will allude to, no pressure, Chris, but also British cinematic history. He really wants just, you to talk about history today, Chris. I did, I, I, talk I, I, about I, uh, it now. Yeah, 19, 1947. <laughs> what, what significance is that? Um, yeah, I, I was deeply moved by this movie uh, to do that because I felt like I would come into today's show and I would be the last person to rate this movie because I wanted to keep it out of the depths of even getting close to phase four because I didn't know where our sensibility was. But to me, you're, you're a little, you're pleasantly surprised right now. Pleasantly surprised because, and I'll wrap up with this. You at the top of the show, you said, what do you want to do? I said, well, we have, if we, if we are here as a society to revitalize cinema, to bring it out from entertainment, this is a movie among many that we'll watch this year that we need to look at. Now, whether it's done on this show adequately enough, or it is, some other short show. I know, you know, a lot of podcasts have an abbreviated show, but this is definitely something if we want to educate our listener and viewership, this is the kind of movie, whether it's this one or another, with the persons involved, the actors involved, the themes, um, melodrama. This is a this is one worthy of a lot of discussion. Paul, I'll circle back to you eventually uh, to get a specific from you. Let it ruminate if I'm going to ask you a question of what specifically is something that we should really walk away with um, appreciating about this film, regardless of how uh, melodramatic it might have been. So I want to bring it to you now, Aaron. Uh, first, before I do that, I want to say that I, I want to say that uh, this Powell and Pressburger are a huge influence on one Martin Scorsese. He's been uh, a big part of bringing them sort of, of sort of revitalizing them. Actually, he's been a big part of revitalizing their films and getting them on Criterion and, and such. I'm familiar with Powell and Pressburger from three of their other films, which I like all three of them. In fact, I love one of them. One of the weird things about this show is that when I bring films on the show, they're films that I haven't seen for the most part. You know, we dance of reality is, is an exception today. So it's interesting. Like, for example, on our last show, I brought in a Tarkovsky film, one I haven't seen. So it's, 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 it's just a weird thing where I, ha I know of masters who I consider to be masters who, who have films that I adore. And yet I'm bringing other films on that maybe aren't the ones that everybody knows. And so maybe they're not really, the directors aren't really having the opportunity to get as appreciated as maybe they deserve. So uh, I think I will bring Powell and Pressburger back in later in the year. That long rant is a segue for me to say, Aaron, is it fair to say that there's a lot of things to respect about this film, especially considering that it was before the fifties, but ultimately it was the melodrama that made it, ultimately impossible to, to, to really enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, let's just respect the, the dive into color in 1947. Technicolor. Technicolor. And that's what really brought this score up for me was 
the beautiful shots. I mean, it was like a canvas painting and we were in it and it was fun and fantastical um, and just beautiful. Like they really use color in such an artistic way. And you could tell that they were obsessed with the color palettes of the film and how everything was going to look. And that just took this away from me. I mean, I'm a huge fanatic about eye shots, like when you get really close and see what the eyes are doing. And this film just laid into that. I mean, those shots of, um, sorry, what was that woman? The, the young Indian yep. girl, she was like 23. Um, uh, her name. Sorry, I'm looking. I'll keep going. I'll, I'll get. I'll get it for you. Keep going. But that shot, you know, when she was next to the window, Gene and they, Simmons, Gene, Gene Simmons, Simmons playing Kanchi. Okay, Gene Simmons. When we zoomed in on her eyes, she has those like lizard hazel green eyes, and I was just like, oh my god! Like it's just so captivating. She was so beautiful. Um, that yeah, is she was, where wow, she was so phenomenal, beautiful. and just yeah, some of those yeah. shots where. The, the the nuns are at the desk and that the the girl that goes sour, uh Sister, Sister Ruth, Ruth, and she just looks up and you got the eyes and it's like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, and they're fucking like someone had rubbed them for like three hours. Yeah, That's they put red makeup. It was more than they like put something there. It looked like they were raw. Like it looked yeah. like she had been doing that. And you could tell she was just yeah. going crazy. She was dealing with this desire and this love and like, or, you know, just wanting to break free of the nunnery. Um, I think the best of those shots, Aaron, <laughs> not to interrupt you, the best of those shots is the pencil shot where we yeah, go down to the pencil on the desk mm -hmm. and we zoom so deep into the pencil. It reminded me of the shot in the night porter a little bit. And then it pans up and it's deep in her eyes. And yeah. I love and that, and that's a crazy. lot of those shots felt undeserved. Like uh, they, they, they felt like random. Yeah, yeah. Like it didn't feel like they deserved those shots, but the shots were were actually amazing. Yeah. yeah, they they felt a little disconnected, almost like the cinematographer and the director were like experimenting with amazing uh, techniques that we would use later on in cinema. They just didn't know how to combine them with like that traditional kind of Hollywood drama feel that they had in the forties. And now we have this like very unique, uh, a micro expression in, in the cinema. And, and that's, I mean, for the forties, like that's very rare. I don't think I've seen those pencil shots or those well, that's, yep. eye drawing, you know, just like here. That's to Paul's point that he was making earlier is these are the kind of moments that we're punching through cinema this, in this type of a film where there are inventive things that Powell and Pressburger were doing that nobody else was doing, especially at the advent of color being part of cinema. And, and these, these sort of tension building uh, shots, you know, though they felt undeserved for us, um, ultimately are shots that, you know, maybe opened up things for, for, for directors such as, um, Roman Polanski, for instance. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I do want to mention Gene Simmons. Uh, I hardly recognized her. I know her from one other film called Elmer Gantry. I don't know if you've seen that, Paul. Yeah. But Elmer Gantry is a fun Spartacus. film. <laughs> and Spartacus she's yeah. in. Um, so she's, she's a great actress um, and was absolutely stunning in this film. Um, 
So, so, uh, so Chris, you have a, you had a little less, uh, love for the film. What was it? A six, nine, you gave it 6.4, a 6.4. I want to first say, before we segue into your experience of the film Mm -hmm. that, um, in my research, I discovered that this entire film was done in a studio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pinewood. In London. Not, that's impressive. None of this was actually on location. None of this was outdoors. I mean, there was maybe some outdoors shots you outside, outside the studio. Well, I could tell to a degree, but I definitely thought that they had a location somewhere in the mountains for, for some of those shots. But yes, of course, the very first time we see uh, the church uh, on the cliffside, it was relatively obvious that it was a miniature sh- miniature set that yeah. they were filming and all of the backdrops were paintings and and uh powell powell goes on record i watched some of the commentary with him and and scorsese on this film and he said that uh his biggest inspiration for this film was walt disney that Mm. makes sense so he looked at lots of the disney films of the time and sort of and and sort of decided to make a a live action disney film in a sense so that goes sour if you will so chris what was your experience watching this film i was so bored uh, I, I was, in, I, I kept watching it and I was able to keep watching it because of the cinematography, but I couldn't give a less of a shit about the melodrama was going on. I could not give less of a shit about Mr. Dean and why, you know, all the nuns wanted to fuck him. Like I did not care about that. I wanted a story where this location and this like the house of women and the wind constantly blowing. I wanted that just them. Like I want like a, a Lars von Trier, you know, Valhalla rising type movie where like there's 10 lines of dialogue and it's all close shots. And like the nuns have a vow of silence or something. Take Mr. Dean out of it. Leave the fucking, uh, the dude, the, the shaman on the hill. And he's got, he has the most lines in the film. That's what I wanted. I okay. wanted this dour film that we were promised with Ida and I wanted it to deliver. Well, you're not wrong. I mean, I think that the first half of this film is a great film. and I think the second half is a really bad film. I think it falls apart at the seams very quickly because they had all the elements there to really turn this into a horror film. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And, and let the altitude, the altitude of the Himalayas, you know, really be this sort of uh, playground for the devil to start to test everybody's will you know they all think that they're in line with god and we have everything set up for a really interesting uh, uh story to develop where the devil is testing everyone which it was happening but again like it was just way melodramatic and the deborah kerr character uh, not deborah kerr uh who's the- ruth uh sister ruth who who is the one who turns bad right that's her yeah kathleen byron yeah, there was just it, it, they just didn't execute that turn well. It just didn't feel deserved. It felt like you know, like why is she turning? Like we don't we don't really understand why she's turning, and why is she turning so dramatically? Why is she like the devil? Like place nestle this in reality. Like explore the temptations more. Yeah, and 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 have little instances happen behind closed doors where little, like just give us a little 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 moments here and there where things are happening and not just that she turns evil yeah. and you know like you can't just turn evil like why is she turning evil let's focus on the temptations let's focus on the altitude and let's focus on the dissolve of um willpower of these characters so i agree with you chris i do 
Yeah, I mean, insert literally, it's a two shot. It's literally just her walking into that like blue room in in the in the actual uh, the halls, and then staring at that mural, and the mural starts to stare back. That's it. You insert that scene in that movie, it makes a lot more sense. It gets a point more for me, of just like, <laughs> oh, yeah. she she wants to she wants to indulge in carnal desires. They're in a literal whorehouse that used to be in a harem. And so she's looking at these paintings and thinking about what her life could be because they only take a, a vow every year. It's, oh. Yeah, so what I would invite you to do, because the notes you just touched on, Chris, I would yeah. invite you to take a look, if not already, uh, at the FX updated at, interpretation. At Black Narcissus, yeah. Right, but so because those notes, the notes you talked about at the top of the description of this movie are the opening moments, the oh. general, his concubines, what mysteries occurred? Death? Yeah. Is it murder? Suicide? And then the, how that just, that Paul just rests yeah. on, the, on, on the entire palace uh, place of worship. And then we fast forward to what, 1939, or 33, I believe, um, the Anglican nuns. And now they're, mm -hmm. you know, and the monastery unfolds and it tonally hits the notes you want it to hit. Um, could they hit so that back in 1947 with, you know, that's where I was hoping you'd touch on like, you know, oh, India independence. You know, okay. Okay. Very good. So then I will be quiet. <laughs> no, no, no. Before so you get like, to the history. Yeah. Before you get to the history, Chris, uh, just for our audience, Paul is referring to a 2020 BBC remake of this movie of the same title, which I have not seen. Paul, you watched it. Yeah. I watched it. it. Yeah. Just it. I, I'm in the middle of it. So it, but like anticipating that there'd be a, one or a few of us might not, I'm, I'm not here to say this is a B or an A movie. I'm just saying like Powell and Pressburger laid some groundwork here. They saw something, they were able to encapsulate it, deliver it to a 1947 audience that fit the times, but it needs a little bit more because I think we're all captivated with, uh, uh, you know, Sister Ruth and I want that I really want to see that character come to life. I don't want these abrupt shifts in her uh, character without some narrative history or just something happening. Do you recommend the show? I do. If you are curious about like where this movie might have gone in with a modern interpretation, because uh, you know, um, I, again, I my my. You know, the, I'll say it a lot. Somebody much smarter than me saw this movie. They were impressed, as was Scorsese. They were impressed by the color, the lushness of this. I need to read the book. And then when you get into, you know, Rumor Garden, who's the novelist, um, there's a lot there. And I could see somebody, a reader at a studio, cycling through her novels and going, yeah, we definitely should redo this. And because it just has, plus it's, it's really ensconced in British cinematic history. I mean, this is a movie, Black Narcissus, that a film historian will go back to and say, yeah, this is one of our top 100 British films of all time. It may not be for reasons because of our modern sensibility that we appreciate, but in the canon of British cinema, this is a noteworthy film. Yeah, and, and uh, we should make note that the cinematographer is Jack Cardiff, who is a, uh, a legend for this time period. Master, so yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a big, big-time cinematographer. So, Chris, uh, we have about five minutes, so yes. go ahead and give us a brief uh, history lesson if that's what so, you So, 
it's super interesting that this movie came out in 1947 and it deals with colonialism because the separation of the I think they called it at the Republic of India at that point. Basically, the reason that Pakistan and India are two separate countries happened this year. So the the in the local news, you would see like, oh, you know, the British Empire has separated Pakistan into India after, you know, inflating conflicts between the Muslims and the Hindus. It is a this basically was the start of Pakistan and India hating each other. So to have this and then the overbearingness of colonialism at the time with actors in literal brownface is just like it, it's it's this movie is from the 40s. Like Gene Simmons, white. She's very white. And you can see this because there's a shot where she's getting hit and they put her head on her hands and the face makeup does not match her hand makeup. Oh, she's boy. very white. And it's so, just like, what's, uh, I'm just, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. What, what exactly are you talking about? <laughs> so when, when India was a colony of the British Empire, they basically, you know, you, you were bound down to uh, the British Empire. So you were a colony. You, you worked and did everything for the empire. Yes, you might have all of this other stuff. Like, you know, you have a local ruler, you have your local schools, but like you at any point can get your children taken away because you're too Indian. Like people look at the American Revolution as like, oh, it was brutal. You know, the, we were taxation. It was like, yeah, but we weren't being rounded up and like sent off to camps to do like labor. You know, our leaders weren't being killed for going for independence. Like there's a reason that like Gandhi at this time was like as, as uh, you know big as he was for a nonviolent uh, independence movement. Like that was huge because like a lot of times in like Chile and and Haiti, for example, it were these violent re revolutions that the empire had to go and quell, and they had been quelling these revolutions for decades. And this was like the like the start of the downfall of the British Empire, really. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to uh, I want to bring up yeah, Aaron. I'll, I'll let you close it out. I just want to bring up uh, something here. Um, it's it's one of the parts of the films that I that I laughed at was uh, it's like you know everyone you know thinks they know who they are. These nuns think they have willpower and stuff. And then the devil was like, no 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 no, not so fast. What if everyone was hot? Mm -hmm. Then let's see. What happens? And so he, so everybody's hot. You know, you got all these hot, attractive people, attractive nuns, this attractive man, this attractive, whatever her the the uh, Gene Simmons character was. What was she? A princess or what? What was she? She would no. She, she was, was just an eight. She was an eighteen year old. Uh, she was too much trouble than she was worth. So w what did they do? They gave her to a nunnery. And of course, there's the uh, the prince. Or the general, excuse me, who's yes, extremely Sabu. attractive, and then there's Mr. Dean, who's extremely attractive. Killer yeah, outfit, so it's like, by the way. Yeah, killer. Yeah, like, totally. Ten out of ten every time he stepped on the scene. It was one hundred percent. percent. I gotta, I gotta have one of those outfits. <laughs> yeah. So the devil was kind of like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna make all of you hot, and let's see the hypocrisy run wild mm -hmm. now. Yeah. And. uh um, and then the one other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Sister Superior. Uh, it's funny because she's like desperate to keep Dean away, but it's not because she wants him away. It's because she knows that he represents the snake in their garden. 
you know, like they're 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 making a little paradise, a little Eden up there, and he's the snake slithering in. And but and is he though? He he's not. He's not adequate. He's not like saying, "I want to do this." He's just doing it by virtue of being who he is. It's their it's their inner temptations. He doesn't tempt them. He doesn't no, say, like, "I agree." Let's That's go I, fuck. He's not. He's not a snake. But for their little for the for the analogy of their of them having an Eden, she rec recognizes that his presence is the snake in their garden not because he's doing anything wrong it's because he knows she knows instinctively that this guy's hot and he's got a dick and i want it and yeah. i know i'm not the only one um so aaron why don't you close this out got just a couple minutes here yeah i just want to say like this uh this film could have got so many points higher if the acting was better and that's just one of the things that kept dragging it down it was like the acting is so bad i kept wanting like Danny Kay to just swing through a window, you know, <laughs> and save the movie, right? That would like, be awesome. That give would be me great. Danny Kay in this film. I think he would have been fantastic in this role. It would have uh, just given life to the movie mm -hmm. in more of a comedic sense, but also in a playful sense. This guy felt very rigid, like he should have been on Wages of Fear or like... Mm. I'm trying to think of some other films we've seen where it's like he was kind of playing. What was that one with uh, all the three minors? I'm, uh, I'm Wages trying to, of Fear. Treasure oh, of it Sierra is? Madre. Oh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. Yeah. Treasure of Sierra Madre. It was almost like we took one of those characters and put that guy in this film. And it just like, it was clunky. It didn't fit. Um, and it was just frustrating. I like, uh, I forget who said this, maybe it was Chris, but I wanted that man on the mountain to be more of the movie. Like yeah. I kept yeah. waiting mm -hmm. for that to unravel and be like, Oh, maybe this is like something interesting that, that we're, we're not expecting. Like, you know, this whole society's falling apart. The nuns have committed a murder, I guess, unintentionally. Um, what is the man on the mountain going to do? How is he going to bring resolution to this? And it, he didn't do anything. He just like yeah. sat there and we went up to the mountains, saw him and said, yeah, he just doesn't do anything. It's like, oh, okay. I guess we don't care about this character. Like, why do we keep coming back to this? Yeah, it, you guys yeah. left us with no symbolism. There was no, like, I know they were trying to make it like a godlike symbolism. Like God is there watching. And we, you know, we're making those sacrifices to the all-seeing eye. But it was like, I don't know. I just, you got, there, there was so much potential here. Um, and the ending kind of felt clunky too, that death, you know, where she like almost yeah. gets pushed off. And then she like comes back on the platform and the other girl just, oh no, I fell off oh, the mountain. No. Yeah. no. It was like. Oh boy, man, we are really in the 40s for some of these uh, cuts and takes and how we sold a, a death in that era. Paul, it's, 60, it's, Paul yeah, 60, 60 yeah. seconds, the floor is yours. Real quick, because I, what I would say is to your point, Aaron, um, uh, Jack Cardiff, cinematographer and the editor whose name escapes me at the moment, I would argue that that death, that final death, when Sister Ruth comes out, her makeup that shot of her with those eyes that could span generations. I thought I was watching a 2020 movie when she she's standing in the doorway. The ending of the movie bothered me for reasons different from yours because I think it was lifted by Hitchcock for the ending of Vertigo because he worked with Jack Cardiff on his second color film, Under Capricorn. I bet there's a book somewhere that's gonna substantiate this for me. 
those shot, the shoes, oh, the sh screen is almost like Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart up at the top of the bell tower. And I went, there's a reason why we're not watching Vertigo. Thank you, Yoshi. I, because I love the fact that Yoshi mentioned Martin Scorsese adores this movie. I love the fact that we have looked at a, uh, a summary of movies that have influenced Paul Thomas Anderson. I think if Hitchcock were alive, he would point to this movie and say, yeah, the color, the lesbian undercurrent, that ending shot. Yeah, I lifted all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a good catch from you for Vertigo. Was it basically a, a, a complete steal or was it? Is it I, just it's just Paul's thoughts, just my hypothesis. But uh, when you start, you know, when you see how, uh, well, we'll get to another movie shortly where we know people know each other and then create really wonderful art. I, you know, I have got to believe that, you know, Hitchcock's formative years at Gainsborough Pictures and meeting people along the way. I mean, everyone talks, you're in British cinema. It's not a, a huge circle of people. You're esteemed. And then you start to meet great editors and uh, great, um, great cinematographers. And uh, Reginald Mills, that's who it was, was driving me nuts. Reginald Mills um, was the editor on this, on this film. And then, you know, you just start to borrow something, take a look at somebody's uh, picture and I'll, you know, I'll steal something. I can't say, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that. Well, I mean, um, even if it is, it's not. I mean, I, I sent you, Paul, or maybe the group, a video of uh, Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson's ins yeah, yeah. inspirations for The Master. And it's like, you know, 70% of that film, so, like many of the shots that we relished in on our show when we reviewed that film were direct steals direct steals um but that's cinema you know and and, and it's not necessarily uh, it's not you know the same thing happens in music like these past works live on through the reinterpretations of of them um so so i i see nothing wrong with it and paul thomas anderson definitely made that movie his own regardless of what he was stealing from so black narcissus walks away with a seven four on Dead Cinema Society. Let's move on to our next discussion of Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, New York, 2008. Charlie Kaufman, the United States. Brutal. Brutal. But each day I'll hand you a scrap of paper. It'll tell you what happened to you that day. You felt a lump in your breast. You looked at your wife and saw a stranger, etc. What? When are we going to get an audience in here? It's been 17 years. All right. I'm not excusing myself from this either. I will have someone play me to delve into the murky, cowardly depths of my lonely, fucked up being. And he'll get notes too, and those notes will correspond to the notes I truly receive every day from my God. Get to work! Synecdoche, New York. <laughs> uh, Synecdoche, New York follows Caden, uh, uh, who is this, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, is this kind of bumbling, emasculated, very troubled man who's a hypochondriac who happens to be a theater director. Uh, his relationship with his wife and child is very strained. And then over the course of this kind of disjointed reality we live in, his wife leaves for this uh, big art show in Berlin. He goes and gets a bunch of surgeries and then 
just as he's about to be the lowest of the low, he gets a MacArthur grant. Suddenly he's given this a bunch of money to create this big uh, theater production in which he wants it to mean something. He wants it to transcend reality, he has all of these things that he wants it to be. And he decides to make a giant theater production where you can walk into any room in this giant city and experience life. And every day it changes and every day it works. And we kind of follow him as he kind of devolves. And then the story starts to fold on itself where he hires people to play him directing the show and people to play his assistant and the relationships that he has and how he goes with this. And then it completely folds on itself again in which he starts receiving notes from the people who he hires. In this beautiful, weird story from Charlie Kaufman, we get this disjointed view of reality. We get the role of your own choices, the role of free will. And this is Synecdoche, New York. All right. Over to our sponsors. <laughs> We're literally going to get a cease and desist from them. Oh, yeah, I plan on it. We are not your sponsors. I Synecdoche, plan on New York. Okay, Chris, you are starting us off. Chris gives this film a 6.9. I I will be able to speak to this. I will be able to speak to this. Here, Here we, we go. go. Here we go. So we're moving on to, I believe it's Aaron. Okay. I'm back. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it some respect, but it definitely comes with some issues. That's good. That's about 7.6. It, it, it's, it's, it's right. That, that is the exact score I gave second songs. So songs on the second floor, you mean? Songs on the second songs floor. Second, that's just, that's that's second songs. <laughs> that's not Kaufman. No, I know. No, but but he, he's down. comparing it. I get the yeah, comparison. I see. I get the comparison. Yes, so this yeah. is 0.1 better than Black Narcissus. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Paul, let's see. Oh, pardon me. 8. Thank you, Paul. That's, right. that, I can live with I, that. Because I... I but Aaron made a good point because I was like, uh, I thought, yeah, you're you're right on with a movie comp. So I'm sorry. Okay, don't give it a ten, yo. I don't think a ten I, movie exists. Listen, listen. I could be. T I'm tempted. You know, I can be tempted to give it a higher score than it deserves just because of this bullshit that's in front of me. Oh, uh, but <laughs> but I'm gonna give it what it deserves, in my opinion, and that is a nine point four. Oh, nine point four. Nine point four. What yeah. that close to the master? No, the master is a nine seven for me. Oh right. Yeah. Oh nine man. nine wow. five is cries and whispers for me. Right. Gross. I, I couldn't give it a nine five, but a nine four, absolutely. Ew. Jesus, man. Yeah. Dude. Well, let's see. This is one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh. Final I mean, film. I, the final score is an eight point one. Okay, eight point one. 8.1. So, so that go that point goes to you, Paul. All right, there we go. That's yeah, and I think uh, could even be higher for me. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, a year end okay. movie. So look, I mean, you guys didn't like the film. I mean, Paul liked it. Uh, you guys not so much. Um, I think I've seen yeah, I've seen all of Kaufman's work now, and uh, this was the last one that I had seen. I had never seen this film. And uh, I think it's his best work. His directorial debut is his best work that I've ever seen. It's an absolute masterpiece in my mind. Um, it's the most different film I've ever seen. One of the most different films. And, uh, you know, I'm just a little person. One person in a sea 
of oh, many God. little people who are not aware of me. I do my little job and I live my little life. I eat my little meals. I God. miss my little wife. And somewhere, maybe someday, maybe somewhere far away, I'll find a second person who will look at me and say, I know you, you're the one I've waited for. Let's have some fun. Am I dying? <laughs> <laughs> Let's and, have some fun. And okay. die. <laughs> so, so uh, who ranked it the lowest? I forget, Chris? Me. What about this film bothered you so much? Oh, God, just... I, I respect this story so much, and that's why I said it's a beautiful film. I think this is probably the most inventive film I've ever seen in terms of like what it was describing to me and what it was trying to say, but the execution fell so short for me. I was confused, and like there, there's a difference between being confused and being like, wow, I didn't like this at the time, but I really enjoy it, and being confused and having to go back and be like, what did he just say? And then, like, having to, like, really, like, chew this film. Like, it, it's like it's like taking a steak, and then you bite into it, and it's gristle. And you're like, all of the other things in this film taste good. Like, why would you leave this in? Like, the way that he was doing time, where, like, you didn't know if it was like uh, Caden did. You didn't know if it was a week, or you didn't know if it was a year. Really fucking bothered me. Like, and I, I understand that, like, that's, you know, a little bit of how, how it goes because the, he's supposed to be our main character. He's supposed to be our lens and everything. And we are supposed to kind of feel disjointed as he does. But, like, it just felt so masturbatorial. And I could just see, literally, Kaufman is, is Caden in this story. He is so fucking built up to try and make this something that's never been done before that he fails on the base level execution of it. And I gave it a 6.9 purely just because I respect what he was trying to do, but it falls so short. Mm. Mm. I, I couldn't disagree more. I, I think that uh, all, all of Chikoffin's films do have this meta quality about it. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the film adaptation, which he yes. wrote. Um, and the story behind that is that, you know, he was tasked to write a screenplay based off a book, but he ended up writing about someone tasked to write a screenplay about a book. And it made the film so much more interesting than what it would have been, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. So what you're referring to, Chris, as far as time goes, uh, I don't know if everyone caught that, but the breakfast scenes at the beginning of the film, that whole breakfast scene happens over the course of like months. Yeah. And, it, and the only way to really tell that is if you're looking... And by the way, I should say, you're right. On first view, this film is confusing. So I watched it a second time. And that's where right. I realized that this is an absolute piece of art. Right. And the newspaper, the radio, the TV, these yeah. things in the background are what te is telling us that time is passing uh, at, at such a, a crazy speed and, and you know weeks are passing. And the reason I think what Kaufman's trying to say there is that when you fall into a routine in life and you're doing the same shit every day, time goes way faster than you, than you think it's going. It's the same reason – it's the way our brains work. It's the same reason we can't smell our own noses or hear white noise because our brains are made in a way that 
we cancel as far as memory goes, we cancel things out when it's repetitive to a certain degree. So when you're living the same life every single day and you're stuck in a routine, life is just passing you by. And um, so that's, I think what Kaufman was exploring with the time passing like that. Um, Synecdoche is a figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa. And so I think that, you know, that's where the title comes from, where this, this theater piece he's making is what, you know, what, what do you guys, why do you guys think what's his inspiration for trying to make this theater piece? Because he doesn't know who he is and, and where he fits into life, so he literally has to make it. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that he's sort of like, you know, it's it's almost like he hates reality, but it's interesting that he's obsessed with mimicking it. You know what I mean? Like, and and I think this is touching on a deeper subject of like artists who escape through their art. You know, the, instead of because like regular life is kind of just like dull and boring and it's like nobody's really connecting. And so he's making an art piece that is so big that every single role in the piece, whether they're, you know, whether it's a big role or a small role, his goal is to make it so that everyone is a star and no, and nobody's a background actor. Everyone's a star. And it's just interesting to me that he's making this piece where he's literally mimicking the reality he hates. Yeah. And I don't think he's really aware of that. I mean, the apocalypse starts happening all around him and he has no, it, nobody's really even noticing it. Like, like the streets start becoming like the current Los Angeles streets, except worse. And there's like gunshots and like rifles going off and explosions and a homelessness situation gets worse and worse throughout the film. And the entire world around Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is deteriorating and going to shit and there's viruses happening and stuff. And all he really sees is his own little bubble. He cannot, he cannot see anything but his own little terrible life. And, and I love the exploration of how nobody's really paying attention to anyone else. It's just a selfless existence. Everybody's just focusing on themselves. I mean, I don't really know where to take this conversation because it's hard when you guys didn't like the film. And I just would rather focus on all these amazing <laughs> themes of the film, but yeah. uh, go ahead, Paul. No, I, I will jump in. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of laughing right now because I didn't watch this movie a second time because uh, what I will tell you, this movie is a masterpiece in how Kaufman captures the aging process. Uh, our, our role in the world, um, does life have meaning? It, it's an absolute masterpiece. Sadly, because we've used the word masturbatory on this show so many times, I thought, oh, God, am I in a vortex of some masturbatory filmmaking? I better back <laughs> off of my nine or plus, and I better get it down into an area because I don't know. So what appealed to me, what Chris said about, you know, kind of the construct of this movie, it was baffling at times. I consider all of us very intelligent people. We should be able to wade through all that. But at times I was a little baffled and I didn't know if I was in sort of the, the whirl of masturbatory filmmaking. So I backed off of being even more praiseworthy because both he and the movie we will touch on later, um, The Dance of the Reality, just beautifully, either biographically, autobiographically, capture the aging process. Philip Seymour Hoffman.
You mean you broke? Yourself? Sorry, I thought it, <laughs> I've been having computer problems, so forgive me. Me Bill too. Hoffman, what? <laughs> when he's urinating blood, I was laughing out loud, and I just—I don't think I gave myself permission enough to be to really let go on this movie. I backed off because I felt like I was, like I said, like I was trapped in a Charlie Kaufman. Like I thought the synecdoche was playing out in my life that I was truly having a synecdoche. Like, oh, you're, I'm now, you're now compromised by the fact that the society has regarded Kaufman in a masturbatory light and you're afraid to venture into a nine territory. Cause I can tell you, I, we don't even have to get the year end review for this movie. This is, uh, believe me, this is a gift to all of us as we age. What are you doing in life? Just these uh, sort of larger universal themes. What are you doing in life? Are you doing something you want? Like Yoshi, you touched on it. The way he wants to sort of uh, poke fun at life, just reimagining death of a salesman with a younger cast. I mean, that alone, I was just giggling. I'm like, this is great. And then, but there's like this... Um, he just keeps marching forward, like, what's next? And we know nothing about the, the fact that he might get a grant, but he does. And then he mounts this project that if you've been in theater and you've been around people like this, even fractionally like uh, this character, you're like, these are people, this is what they all want to do. They all want to get to that point where they have, like, I'm going to create my master work. And every time he came up with a new title, <laughs> I'm, I'm just dying inside. I, I It's like... This is it. And I, I didn't want the movie to end. Um, I felt like there could be a part two. So um, shame on me. <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up the um, pissing blood part because it's, it's just interesting because throughout the film, he's like looking for re for proof that he's dying. Yes. He's, you know, he's, he's studying his stool and he's like, there's nothing wrong with his stool, but he convinces himself that it's discolored or something, but there really was no discoloring to it. There's all these things like when he's getting his teeth work done, he always, th he wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm arthritic. You know, I think I have arthritis. Like he's constantly, I mean, well, it's not, it's no coincidence that his last name Cotard is uh, a syndrome when one mistakenly believes that they are dead. So that's where, you know, that's what's happening with his character. But the one time that there's actually a sign that something's wrong, he's pissing blood, he's oblivious to it. Um, totally oblivious to it. Uh, so, Aaron, um, what was your experience watching the film? Uh, complete frustration. <laughs> uh, this movie made me uh, just very, yeah, I don't know, like depressive. Uh, it, this movie was a wet blanket. It felt like it had no relief. And, um, you know, the Kaufman choices are very like, uh, kind of like Chris said, like larger than life. Like I want to show this macro idea. And to me, it does, it didn't come together. Like it just kept getting so macro and so disjointed that it loses me. And I, I, I get frustrated in the process and things start to just not not make sense and it's very hard to dissect this film to even say why it is a poor rating to me i mean it's still a seven seven point six um what is the movie about what is the movie about it's about a man that 
is about to die or is getting the signs that he is dying and having the feeling like I need to do something important with my life. I need to make an impact. I, you know, and the, the psychologist gives him that permission and says, well, now's the time. And he's like, well, I just got this, you know, unlimited money supply to make whatever I want. So I'm, I'm going to just go do it. And then, okay. So he buys a ginormous theater hires hundreds of actors to recreate everyone's story. And it's like, like what, like that's your, that's your big reveal. Like that's your big purpose to life is to like create a, a, a macrocosm of a whole nother reality of life. Like when you make too many stars, when you give everyone like the lead role, nobody has the lead role. And now we're just back to everyone living multiple i don't know this movie just bothers me i think that it's about dying it's about well, first of all it's about death and time and it's about how uncomfortable that subject matter is and how nobody talks about it and i think that's why this movie is uncomfortable to watch especially if you only watch it once but it's 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 about dying without anyone ever truly understanding you i think and it's about dying without having actually accomplished anything substantial. And it's about regret. And it's about, like Paul was saying earlier, how time and memory is so strange and how fast it can slip through your fingers. And how the decisions we make, the end is built into the beginning. Every decision we make, the end is already built into the beginning. And yeah, so but how do you live that life? Like, that's what's frustrating to me. This man is just... A wet blanket like he doesn't have any substantial joys like he doesn't like he's well, just he's suffering he's suffering he's yes. suffering from yeah. he's suffering from from the obsession of death whereas his wife is the they're they're opposites of the same coin she's passive in the sense that like in the beginning of the film she's having coughing fits and like clearly if 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 she was him she would know that there's something wrong, but she chooses to live the life of, of, of a passive artist who's enjoying the moment, who will die young from not paying attention to what's really happening right, within right. her body. Whereas he is the opposite, right. where Keep he's going. hyper focused, hyper obsessed with death, <laughs> even though nothing's wrong with him. And so he's unable to enjoy life. And so we see this with the macro micro of their artwork. His artwork is so big, it's infinite in scale that you can't even wrap your head around what it is. And her artwork gets infinitely smaller throughout the film to the point where you have to use a fucking microscope to look at it. And so they are, they are two different ways of going about being an artist, about living, really. You can either choose to enjoy the moment and not focus on the impending doom, but you might, you know, die young. And then you, or you could take his approach where you're super hyper focused on how reality is ever tightening in on you but the 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 tragedy of it all or the comedy of it all is that they both end up in the same place so regardless of how you choose to approach life you're both gonna die but that wasn't realized like he was sick and it never went anywhere it was like i was expecting him to like get cancer and like just down because he never really was sick it was all on his he head was, but he was sick he had you know poor pee and he was drained and like there was clearly something but going he lives on. to be an old man he lives to be yeah an old i man. know and to me that's like that's that's random directing that's like just making a decision 
to make his life go on longer. And it derailed me from the reality of where I thought the movie could have gone or should have gone is like it's, a redemption it's, for it's, a dying man. It's not man. random. It's, it's the same thing with this virus, you know, like every time, you know, with the virus being looming over our heads right now, every time you, you, you're a little tired or, you know, it's cold outside and it's cold in your bones and, and maybe you feel like a cold is coming on. Like right now living at the time of the virus, every little thing that, that touches us, we could choose to obsess over that and think that maybe I'm getting the virus. Maybe I'm getting sick. Oh no, what is this going to mean? It's going to affect my job. It's going to affect this. Or you can choose to somehow live with a, uh, a, view, a view of, you know what? The virus is out there. If it gets me, it gets me. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I can do. You know, I'm going to focus on taking vitamin D I'm gonna, and I'm going to do some exercise. But, you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens. It's just these different mindsets that you can take. And if if Caden had taken the mindset of, you know what, life is going to be what it is. And, you know, uh, once in a while, I'm going to be reminded of my mortality. But, you know, I'm still going to do my best to enjoy this. Then he wouldn't have obsessed so much over death. And then maybe he wouldn't have done this absurd undertaking of creating this ridiculous art piece, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, and the irony is that, you know, we're not supposed to be rooting for him, Aaron. That's not the idea. No, but, I know. Yeah, but the irony is that he, he's trying to make all these background actors, the stars of this movie, but it's all about him. Yeah. It's, it's all about Caden. Why and, didn't you had all unlimited money and you chose to do that with your money? Like that frustration. It's a tragedy. It was great. Like the, the the touches, like just to have a voyeuristic touch, to have somebody play yourself just for like a stage of his production, to watch somebody imitate you. When Tom Noonan's character comes in and I've been watching you and it's like, I didn't know if he years. was the Grim Reaper, but he truly was shadowing. Was God. Right. He was shadowing this, God. you know. I can play you. I, I was just like, oh my God, this is great. And it was just beautiful and touching. Um, listen, I would say, again, as the elder statesman, a moment is going to come in your life when you realize you are not young anymore. Uh, it could be something physical, something emotional, something intellectual, maybe a combination of all three. A movie like this, uh, as in the movie Dance of the Reality, uh, you're going to feel your age. You're going to realize that life, that time is precious. It's a commodity we can never get back. And thematically, he touches on it. But the fact that we take him all the way through old age, to me, was the beautiful part of this movie. I want this just kept going and going and going. I could have watched another hour of this movie. And uh, I think it's just something you, you might revisit whether you want to revisit this movie, but just you'll start to appreciate if it's brought up in a movie or a book about life advancing and realizing that you're now looking over your shoulder at a, at a vestige of what you once were and you're not that person anymore and you have to embrace who you are. And, um, you know, it's, that's how the, life the is. The tragedy is that you, the young actor, will end up in this place of desolation. That's, mm -hmm. what, he's, that's what his note was to the young kid in death of a salesman he's, they're all playing older people they're all young actors playing older people that was like his shtick in that in that play at the beginning but but he says the tragedy is that you the young actor will end up in this place of desolation and and philip seymour hoffman died like eight years after this movie yeah and he's playing an old guy and in, in the movie but in and he you know it's 
But you can feel that sadness on him, you know, like he, he was in a depressive state. Can I, okay, let me move this yeah. to what I, cause I, I have questions about this film that I didn't get that I need. You guys love this movie. So I want to hear why this choice was made. First of all, why, like, what is the burning building of that woman, the redhead woman? Uh, it's, it's that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a surreal approach to representing that the end is built into the beginning so every choice we make whether it, it could be that chris decides tomorrow to he's gonna his computer's having problems so chris is gonna buy a new he's gonna he said he was gonna build a computer so what if the choice to build his new computer somehow he does something to the computer where it's actually going to explode in 10 years so obviously that's a ridiculous example but the idea he's trying to represent in my mind is that every little choice you make you could be making a decision that kills you in 10 years and that's the weird thing about choices is that these little choices we think buying a house is a little choice but buying that particular house is what ended up killing her because she dies in a fire why isn't Okay, so that's why it's on fire is because she's going to die in a fire. It, she it says could it. also. It could also be wildlife where we're ignoring the little things around us that one day might be what inflames us and, and goes up in flames. And, well, and then kills everything us would be on fire. His the the house with the blonde chick would be on fire. You know, to me, it was just like this. No, RC. she literally dies. She literally dies in a fire. So there's a line when she's buying the house. She's like, well, I'm nervous that I've never bought a house myself. And she's like, oh, buying a house is nerve wracking. And then she goes, yeah, I feel like the fire is going to kill me. And she's like, well, we all have to die sometime. <laughs> when that does she die cool. in a fire? I, I miss this. It was, uh, it was probably one they, of those phone calls where it's like, your father has died. And he's no, just like, one, when they finally When they finally end up together, finally... And they yeah. sleep together. Oh, right, finally. right, 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 right. The next morning, he's like, you know, smoke with the, inhalation. Yeah, she yeah. died from smoke What's inhalation. Yes. So the the house caught on fire while see the, there's so much like slippage of. But it's life. surreal. It's not. It's mm -hmm. not meant to be this thing you walk away with going like, oh well, that's unrealistic. You know, it's like the whole thing is unrealistic. It's a it's a it's a big metaphor. What else? What else, Aaron? Hit me, hit me with more. Uh, there were okay, so there were times where they'd be on cell phones that look way past techno. Uh, the technology of the cell phone look way past like the cars in the background. I mean, things like that bothered me. Like I'd be looking at the cars and being like, okay, those cars look like they're from like early '90s, if that. And he's on the phone like a flip phone, and I'm like. He looks like he's on a razor, and the cars look like they're in the early '90s. Like, what is happening here? This movie starts with the advent of cell phones. Like, the, they were just they were just invented at the start of this movie, and there's well, they that weren't one. a razor. They weren't like a flip. Like, hey, what's up? They were fucking huge, you know. And they were in cars, and like, I mean, my mom had one. They were massive, you know. Well, you know, there is that scene where they, him and uh, the redhead forgive me i forget her name they see each other they're kind of seeing each other for the first time and they're talking he opens the phone and it's like oh there's there's no connection like i'm looking for a connection you know and and then and then he goes outside to get a connection but right before he steps outside they look at each other you know at the same time it's just these little beautiful things like they're looking for connection mm -hmm. everyone's looking for a real connection and the cell phone plays into that it's, and that's what he's looking for his whole life. And he has the opportunity with her 
you know, early on in his life, but he, but he gives it up to, to keep alive this marriage that he knows deep down is not going to survive. I mean, his wife doesn't love him anymore. She's moving to Germany. He's in denial about that. The connection's right there, but he's afraid. He doesn't give himself the opportunity to connect with someone finally. And the tragedy of the film is that his whole life, he's looking for this real connection. He's lonely, he's telling his therapist. You know, he wants to do something with his life. And then he finally connects with this woman, and then she dies the next morning. <laughs> what about the guy that follows him, that, you know, become becomes him Sammy. as the play? But, like, Sammy. throughout the film, he is, like, in the shadows and like clearly it's not reality but is it like i don't get that he, he was you know he'd be like sleeping with a girl and this guy would be watching them you know like what i, was I have that? my theory but uh, chris or do you or paul do you have any any ideas go for it paul the um make sure i'm unmuted there we go um <laughs> why he was uh well, you know, I love what Yoshi said about him playing uh, God. I guess I just saw him initially as a character. Um, initially, I thought he was the Grim Reaper, just a, a passionate Grim Reaper following him around. Like, uh, but then I realized, oh no, he's this is just a surreal uh, construct that now Kaufman now has another person like Charlie, and we're going to follow him around. Okay, got it. I understand what's going on. Um, so, I mean, beyond that, I'm sure Yoshi has a thought or Chris has a thought, but uh, uh, I went in one direction. It then became, it went in a different direction for me. I think the genius of Kaufman is seen when there's hints at possible realities within his films. And, and there's enough there to be noticed, but not enough to be concretely stated to be fact. And one of those instances is Sammy being God. Uh, I don't know that this is, you know, for sure what it was but just the idea that somebody's always watching you somebody's always with you but you don't you can't see them and they love you unconditionally you know more than anyone else and for your faults and for your goods and and then eventually he reveals himself to show Caden all of his faults and all of his hypocrisies by behaving exactly like him and then there's that scene where he you know he comes down as the son of man in a sense he reveals himself you could say that he turns into jesus and then there's the sacrifice he sacrifices himself by jumping off of that building um as a demonstration if you will for caden uh for for a possibility of what might happen to caden who knows maybe caden did jump off that roof Remember mm. within the scene where yeah, he's yeah. he's actually spying on her, like mm -hmm. Sammy's spying on him, and Sammy's in that scene spying on him. So there's an inception of spying yeah. going yeah. on, <laughs> and then Philip Seymour Hoffman goes to jump off point. the roof and commit suicide, but right. then that guy saves him. But maybe he did commit suicide there. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's just okay. with a Kaufman film, it's just like I understand the feeling overwhelmed watching his work. I understand that it's not an easy watch but for me there's so many elements at play it is hard to wrap my head around it it is hard to decide what what's what and what's real and what's surreal and what and what's and what's you know really what it's really about but that's really refreshing to hear from you because i despite the fact that you are talking what i would consider very comprehensively about this film 
you're now leaving like, hey, maybe I need to relook at this. Like, this is a movie I would go back and, and revisit. I, I just didn't follow my heart enough on this. Um, I got caught up in the baffling elements of this movie and really didn't see the goodness and the, and the you know, sort of autobiographical resonance with a lot of parts of this movie. But Yoshi, once again, you really hit on themes and characters and how we, and the symbolism and what we need to look at as we continue to look at movies because, uh, I, so it's refreshing to hear that you needed a second viewing despite the fact that, you know, right now I know Charlie Kaufman is watching this and he's, he's, he's nervously hoping that our aggregate score goes up later in the year when we revisit this movie because he's so tied to uh, numerical analysis of all of his films. But uh, no, this is, it's good to hear from you because you've spoken very authoritatively about this movie and it's really opened my head to looking at Kaufman's work and I'm looking forward to reading his book. Well, I'm in the middle of Ankind right now. If you are watching Kaufman, I'm, I'd love to be in one of your pictures one day. Yeah. Uh, but I'm about 200 pages into his 700-page book. And I'll tell you right now, Aaron and Chris, don't read it. Not that you ever would. But yeah. definitely don't because this is as masturbatorial as it gets with Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is... He takes everything to a new level, and he's combining elements from being John Malkovich with the puppeteering, all the way to elements from Snecky New York. Of uh, you know, one of the characters in this book makes a three-month-long movie. It, it, it takes three months to finish watching the movie. It's I love it. It's absolutely amazing, Kaufman. I can't wait to see where you go with it. I know I've hogged the mic on this conversation, so I f forgive me, but I do want to bring up one more thing before we move on. Um, He's trying to create something beautiful to hold back his anxieties on impending death. Now, obviously, I would say he maybe fails in that pursuit. But if we're going to look at a saving grace of his character, which Aaron propagated that there was none, I think that his cleaning is his salvation in a sense. You know how he becomes obsessive about cleaning? And he's just, he's just cleaning nonstop? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, if you look at the first scene of him cleaning – on the TV, there's an image of him falling like into the depths of the sea, and there's like a virus following him. Mm -hmm. The TV changes to like happy commercials and like happy songs and stuff when he's cleaning. So the idea is that he becomes obsessive with cleaning, and as long as he keeps cleaning his life, he doesn't have to think about impending death. But as soon as he stops cleaning, the TV switches back to the virus and, and the sinking man. And I know personally someone who escapes through cleaning, and I've seen that. And so that part of the film really played to me as, as like, yeah, you can, you, can, you can really find ways to subconsciously avoid facing the reality of impending death and, and, and avoid facing certain parts of reality by just staying busy, which is what his character ultimately does, which then leads to him starting, sort of starting to discover his anima. Did we notice that people start confusing him for a woman mm -hmm. towards yeah. the end of the film? Yeah. And then like, there's that hilarious scene where, um, what's the actress's name? Michelle Pfeiffer. No, Michelle Williams. Williams. Michelle Williams says, uh, are you wearing lipstick? And he's like, what? And she's like, are you menstruating? It smells like you're menstruating. It smells like you're menstruating. It's like, no, men, men, men don't menstruate. So I don't know why I would smell like that. You know, 
he's sort of oblivious to it, but I think he starts to transform into Ellen, his anima, his female self. He even mentions a couple times when he's about to have sex with a woman that he feels like he would have been better as a woman. He would have done better as a woman. So maybe this is a part of his feminine sides trying to surface yeah. itself so that he can actualize his identity. And, be, and, and maybe he's been hindered his whole life by trying to be this thing he's not, by trying to propagate his masculinity, when really if he had just gone into himself and let that feminine side free, he would have been able to you know, get to wherever he wanted to go quicker. Yeah, no, it's a constant reflection of where his life was. Like, when are we going to mount the show? We've been at this for a while. You know, I, I get it because, you know, the loss of loss of just, you know, we, we joke about uh, testosterone when it starts to go away. You ha you become a different person. You start to, you know, maybe tend to the gardener a little bit or I, I, I find myself doing a lot of domestic chores around the house. You know, so it's it's very funny. And uh so I think probably I, those are moments where I wasn't laughing. I was going, oh, boy. Yeah, this does happen. Um, exactly, though. That's exactly <laughs> it, Paul, like is that the question I think, the hard question I think he's trying to ask is what are we with all these identities that we've given ourselves? That's it. What are we at the end of the day, at the end of our days when we're about to die? What do we become if we're no longer a man of testosterone? Are we even a man? Right. If we're no longer a theater director. You know, if we're no longer a husband, if we're no longer a father, his daughter dies without all of these identities that we attach yep. to ourselves. What really are we? That's it. That's what exactly is male? It. What is female? What that is, you know, I think he's, I mean, come on guys, this movie deserves a second viewing. In it definitely opinion. deserves a second viewing. I will, uh, well, I'm still getting, I'm, I didn't win Aaron and Chris. over. No, so not at all. This movie is frustrating. I remember finishing this movie, like stomping around my house feeling this depressive energy this frustration for this man that like just couldn't look outside himself you know and like grip onto some some life some some love some some of his soul he was so external it was like yeah, but where's your empathy, man? You like all these movies that are like lovely and happy and stuff, but you have no. No, empathy. I don't need a lovely you and have happy. No you have no empathy for characters who are suffering. Like, where's your empathy in the movie? I have I plenty of empathy for characters that are suffering, but you want to talk about a master, a master, national. <laughs> I can't even get the word out. But this is this is it. You know, like Kaufman. I'm. You know, I, I watched the 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 interviews. You know, it's like. You're you're trying so hard to be outside of the the Hollywood norm, outside of the the like the artist of like I don't I, I can't even get my thoughts together on this. No, I think exactly. he's yeah I've I've seen him too, and but I I think his uh, he's hyper self conscious, he's highly self aware, and and through a theatrical construct, we all get to look at our lives because this. There is some universality here that I would uh, implore all of you to absorb. Um, and Yoshi, I mean, yeah, you made a great point. Like, what are we at the end of our lives when we start to lose these roles? Like what, you know, we were having these conversations, which I won't bore our listeners or viewers, but at the top of the show, like we're talking about parents in our lives and, you know, what happens when they're no longer parents? Do they become friends? Are they supposed to become, are we supposed to reparent them? There's a lot of interesting themes here. There's a, uh, yeah, a lot of, really cool psychology and sociology that I guess I, I just missed completely on first pass that, uh, and these thematic elements that, yeah, needs a revisit.
Well, uh, we, unfortunately, we have to move on. Um, can can I, I end with this? Yes, yeah, I would like Chris, to. I need some away. backup yeah. from Chris because he didn't like the film either, but he's been completely quiet. Yeah, and, and, and I apologize for hogging the mic so much. So please. Uh, you like the movie. It's fine. I'll round us it. round us out, Chris, with, <laughs> with, your, with your experience. Who's right? Is, is Aaron Sammy giving notes? And is Yoshi Caden following him and providing the real ones? Or are they in reverse? Wait. Say that again. <laughs> Remember when he's when when Sammy embodies Caden as the director and he gives Nof, but we follow Caden behind him. That's not actually true. She's fine. We'll do that. Which one yeah. of those are you? Neither. I'm not in the movie. I don't. I don't want to be in the movie. I turned the role down. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Yeah, I don't really. I turned understand. the Kaufman look the other way. I'm sorry, we don't. Uh, no, that, that that's the, that's the beauty of this movie is you can look at that and see see the theater production and see the the just depressiveness, or you could be Yoshi and see the beautifulness in this production. I honestly don't know where I stand. I think you provided some very persuasive arguments, but there's still things that I don't like about this film. Maybe I need to watch it again. But I'm not going to say anything because I need. What do you to not like, it. Chris? I need to. I need no, to get your. I I I don't like the fact that it is so disjointed. I don't like the fact that it's it, it does not tell me anything as a viewer. It's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. Guys, but guys, that's we fine. Have, we have about 20 minutes to finish the show, so unfortunately, we have to move. move. Uh, yeah. You can, I'll I'll write a blog post about it. How about that? We can. Yeah, let's we can, Kaufman we can, blog post. I'm happy to revisit it. <laughs> I'm happy to revisit it. Right. Okay, dance of reality. The Dance of Reality, 2013, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Chile in France. Estoy realmente orgulloso de ti. Debes demostrarme que eres capaz de resistir al dolor. Te voy a dar de bofetadas. Si tú me lo pides, aumentaré la intensidad del golpe. Y mientras más me lo pidas, más aumentaré. Quiero ver hasta dónde resistes. ¿Mm? Más fuerte. Más fuerte. Más fuerte. Más fuerte. Más fuerte. Más fuerte. Te quebraste un diente. Pero si me quieres, no importa. ¿Cómo que no importa? Vamos al dentista. Jeez, man. It's a reality. What a fucking film. Uh, this film is a semi-autobiographical story of Alejandro Jodorowsky as he is raised in the town of Tocopia. I'm probably pronouncing that totally wrong, but that's fine. Tocopia. Tocopia. It is Tocapillo. a small coastal town in Chile. Uh, and then I don't know where reality and surreality... Uh, kind of mixed it's 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 very bizarre you get to see a character named alejandro yodorovsky and him as a boy trying to get and it's kind of you lead through the what it means to be a man what it means to be you know a human on this planet a member of the community the value of money there are so many different layers to this film and it's so weirdly presented as only alejandro yodorovsky can do the Dance of Reality explores all of these and more, all with the facade just of a too many dicks. There's too many dicks. <laughs> too many. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> that is the dance of reality. Ah. Uh, Too many yes. dances. Oh, God. <laughs> and the swift pulling is up. Swift pulling. Oh, swift pulling is up. So we're starting with Aaron? Mm. Yes. Okay. okay. Let's see. Yep. Got it right. Dance of reality. A 5.1. <laughs> Prepare to Yoshi to talk again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know Yoshi and I are going to go back. <laughs> and yes, this did score lower than phase four for me. Wow. Oh, I was afraid of that. <clears throat> I was afraid. Oh, that is, that is, wow. Wow. I would honestly rather watch phase four again than watch this. So this did this go lower than El Topo? Well, that's why I'm keeping an eye on things. Yes, so if I lowest, have to go last, I want to. This make is sure. my lowest rating ever on the show. It is. You like this less than El Topo? Less I, than Phase I Four. I would watch El Topo again before I watch this. Wow. This was horrendous. This was just one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Wow! Like wow. I, I wow. despise this movie. All right, All right. Paul. Let's, let's get into it. We gotta, we gotta hurry, guys. Uh, am I next? Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Thank you. 8.5. Wow. Yeah. 8.5. Chris gives Dance of Reality a 7.4. And I have my yeah. reasons. It's, yes. Well, 7.4 is like, you know, that's a fair, 5.1 is like, man, I should just retire from this show. I don't understand what's <laughs> happening here. If it wasn't for Paul, the show wouldn't work. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's remember your Akira rating. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. So good a Japanese animation from the 60s or whatever it was. I mean, 80s. like, come on. The 60s? This, this, film, this film is so profound, and this is my score for it. Another 9.4 from Yoshi. Another 9.4. Wow. I couldn't decide if I liked this one or Synecdoche more. Uh, I enjoyed this one more, but uh, wow. <coughs> So oh, funny you say that. Crazy. So funny you say Counteracting that. Counteracting that 5-1. I will piss all over this film. 7.6. Jesus, man. That's wow. Yeah, we I mean, I get the point. I'm looking like at Chris. For Chris. <laughs> um, Fucking yikes. Okay. <sighs> Where to begin? <laughs> These are tough, man. These are tough because when, when someone loves a film and someone hates it, you don't really know where to go. Um, I'm just going to open the floor up. Whoever wants to start. Yeah. So I, okay. So for the benefit, so trying to find my place on this show, 2020, I, I at times became classy Paul, or I was so agreeable and I got uh, voted that at the, uh, the end of the year, too kind to movies. So I, oh, that was into, a, that was a, that was a good award. It was a good, award, right. A good award. But I think, um, you know, to, to share a little of myself, to, to personalize this a bit, I, you know, there's a part of me that um, I'm, I'm deeply moved by the movies we've selected. And, and but at times, uh, like a lot of things in life, sometimes I need to be a little more discerning or critical of things. So this show provides a place for me to come and test out an opinion or a position and see if I can adequately defend it on the show. Uh, I will jump in and for the benefit of anyone watching this movie, if you speak Spanish, I think you will have a more than a slightly deeper appreciation for it than if you, for someone who doesn't. There are moments in this movie I was laughing out loud. I was on board uh, from the jump. Uh, the 
And it's funny, Yoshi, how you started this segment with you didn't know how to rank if you were to rank it higher than Synecdoche, New York or not. I totally understand that the autobiographical elements in this movie were so deeply personal. I was laughing. I was crying. Um, this is an ambitious project. Uh, I understand the standing ovation at the 2013 Cannes Film Festival. I wanted more of Jodorowsky himself to come in. Every time he was on screen, I was crying. Uh, when he's hugging his younger self or just saying something nurturing or caring, I was like, oh, it, it, the just and the and how these moments are captured because you know we are you know my, at my age the first exposure i had to any kind of political conflict in south america maybe was the broadway play evita which is kind of scary we don't you know i didn't grow up in a time where we got deep into world history but for him to capture what was the turmoil political turmoil military turmoil going on in chile with the dictatorship um Again, but through all this, these surreal elements, I don't know his personal history, but I said, well, if his father went down this, this path of perhaps getting close to Carlos Ibanez, or, you know, again, whether so, that's so just fictional or, or not, you know. A little context is it's autobiographical to a degree, but the idea of what he was trying to accomplish with his film was heal himself from mm -hmm. his own. That's and his that's own, what I got, and that's his why own for familiar traumas. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so just when you think the movie is about to be about the kid the whole time, it becomes about the father because right. he chose during the production of this movie to focus on healing himself from yes. his abusive father yes. by yes. having his father yes. actually have a non-existent heroic turn and find salvation. So yes. he healed his father for his, his yes. father. And the beauty and, of the and, and, and this is what makes it so great because. He gets to do this with his father not here. He gets to write a history with absolutely no interference that he knows, I'll say it arrogantly and with great conceit, would be better than any healing that might have been done with his father in real time because it's sad. It's like for each successive generation, you should be able to express yourself in a much better way than the generation before you because today, especially if you are a parent today with the immediacy of information and the... Uh, and the plethora of information about how to parent, how to communicate, how to be more assertive, how to, how to love someone, etc. All the information at your disposal today, the boundaries that are all brought down so that you can communicate properly with people, the, the, you just touched on it. That's the, the singular moment of this movie that literally was transformative for me. You talk about meta. This was a meta moment where I'm like, I have healed I healed wounds with my father in eight years since he's passed. We have, I have healed more wounds and that's what is enduring about this movie and the, and his portal to this healing, to this reparation through a circus and characters and homosexuality. I mean, the dog show, the fact that it was it was literally translated as the butterfly mariposa in Spanish is gay. It was just just these elements that were so beautiful. You, I laughed and cried. This is this is definitely unless he has another project in him, and we haven't seen Holy Mountain yet. 
this is clearly his masterpiece of what I've seen so far. Well, it's actually, this is one of, this might be my favorite from him, but I, I think two of his other films are better than this one. The Holy Mountain and Sante Sangre, I think are better, but we, we don't worry, Aaron, Chris, I won't be doing that to you guys. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so Brontis Jodorowsky, Alejandro's son is playing his father in this movie. Uh, we, of course, are familiar with Brontus's little pee-pee when he was a little boy in El Topo, and now we see it again as a grown man. So we've seen the pee-pee of Brontus twice, <laughs> uh, from, from baby to man. Um, and there were many other Jodorowskis in this film as well. Chris, I'm going to hand it over to you. I, so I'm not going to talk about the film. I'm going to talk about how I watched it, because the reason this gets a 7.2 is because I had to turn my brain off. Because I, like Aaron, hated this movie. And then I did something where I, I, I'm trying to do this year. I sat down and I meditated for 10 minutes because I realized that the outside world around me was impacting this film. I sat down, I quieted my mind, I restarted it. I see what you're saying, Paul. I see all the little points that he was trying to do. I cannot get over the fact that Jodorowsky doesn't give a shit if we watch this movie. I can knock it over the fact that he does not give a fuck if you see this movie because it's not, it's not how he made it. It's not why he made it. He made it for himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I like that. I like the fact that he directed this. Yep. Like, you, just like you said, I think it was what a budget of three or four million dollars. It kind of feels like that. Yeah. Um, maybe made a half, little over half a million, according to Wikipedia. Um, I was fine with it. I was fine with this sort of, what is this? This is the peon, as they say. This is the peon to my father. This is my apologia. It's done in a way that I want to do it. It heals him. Again, whether his father were alive to receive this, mm -hmm. his father might take issue with it. I totally understand it. But this heals him. He took care of his side of the street in an artistic, in a beautiful artistic way. And I was on board with it. Yeah. I, I do not like this movie, but I will remember this movie forever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is all I'll say. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Uh, I just got to move. I'm just trying to move it yeah, along. I, so I got to jump in here. 10 minutes. I'm trying 10 minutes. to think of like something constructive to say. Cause I, I all my notes are just like uh, the movie's sick. It's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, that peeing scene was just, I, I, I mean, which it, one, the, the one where <laughs> she pisses all over his, his, his wounded corpse, you know, like he's dying and she does this like whole, Oh, Holy, you know, Holy, ceremony where she calls upon god to give her healing powers and then she pisses all over his body his wounded body and his mouth and you see everything you see her entire hairy furry vagina and you know it's just like completely unnecessary and you know i i love this show and it forced me to sit through this but there are 25 times where i am literally like wanting to hit the off button you know just looking at it like oh this show is pushing me because I, I i just can't i can't stand this movie there's so there's so many great concepts yes there is but like don't put a penis in my face and piss on a radio like what are you like why are we seeing this imagery what are you so afraid of I'm not afraid of anything, but why am I seeing that imagery? Like well, it is you are, you're afraid of he the human body. You're afraid of piss. I am you're afraid not afraid of, of the human body. Of these very animalistic things that are, uh, that are a reality of what we are. We're animals and, and like bodies and hair and piss and stuff. It's like, 
I think I think maybe you should paint yourself all black and, and run around and pretend to be your own shadow so you can get more comfortable. I have with- painted myself black and ran around <laughs> yeah. and a shadow. I've been in a music video <laughs> where I did get painted all black. Look, my issue with the film is why do we need to see this woman pee on his mouth? Why? It's a metaphor. The God God moves through the waters. It's a metaphor, man. It's like it's 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 a it's a shamanistic ritual it's 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 a it it, it's it's deep okay and so we have a web of suffering and pleasure in this film okay Mm -hmm. it's everything is connected the suffering is plays into the pleasure and the pleasure plays into the suffering and i mean you want what about the balls? Like we gotta we gotta see the electricity hit his ball sack. Like because at the top of the movie, we sort of we said, look, this is this we're going to be vulnerable. I'm gonna put myself out there. Um, so there's something symbolic. I'm pissing on the news that I hear, and then well, um, you know, now at the end of the movie, I'm getting tortured. So we're already a, we're already ready to see like this become a very sadistic moment, and so it it sort of mitigated. I now saw it it was less shocking to me i saw it now for exactly what the history books wrote about the this brutal torture that would take place like i now saw it and i went oh in each of these sequences whether it's a bleeding anus or it's uh you know some sort of testicular rupture or whatever it is it sort of in a weird way humanized it for me like i understood what people went through because early on in the movie I've already seen everybody's sexual parts. I understand what's going on. So there's a transparency here. So by the time it comes to the end of the movie, what you Nazis are doing to me, you know, the fascists rather are doing to me means nothing to me. And I went, wow, okay. It's it's something in there. That's not beautifully formulated karma, for our listenership and viewership, but that is something there. Uh, you know, I really went into this thinking I, I had faith that Aaron was going to like this movie and I was about to be super pleasantly surprised. Uh, but dude, it, the elements of this film, it's the, it, what Aaron, what Paul was just touching on the karma that Brontus, that the father has to, has to face where he's, you know, kicking the cripples at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film. And then he turns into a cripple. I mean, the yeah. father who believes that there is nothing after death yeah. inadvertently goes on an adventure that sees him reincarnate <laughs> himself <laughs> as a revolutionary, as a horse co- caretaker, yeah. as a bum, a carpenter, a holistic healer. I mean, and then a father again. He eventually mm-hmm. becomes a father again after dying and dying and dying and being reborn and reborn and reborn so that he can learn the lesson he was put here to learn and until he learns that lesson he cannot be a father yeah and we're seeing this man literally go through reincarnations over and yeah. over again he gets to be a horse taker <clears throat> he buries the previous horse taker but the reason why he puts the mustache on him is because he's burying himself mm-hmm. he is dying so that he can be reborn again and until he learns the lessons he needs to learn he is not going to be the man he is. And then how beautiful do this Jodorowsky wrap it up where his where the wife makes the father in the backyard look at the three portraits of himself, the tyrants that he needs to kill so that the man can be born. And he shoots himself and he shoots these images that he has of himself that he needs to be so that he can be a man. Mm-hmm. He needs to be a man and take care of his family like Stalin. And then he kills himself and then he's free. It's the most beautiful. I love those aspects of the story, but don't make the, the wife sing for the whole movie. 
Like that's just it's because she wa- she wanted to be an opera singer yeah. and she never was. She she sacrificed her dreams for her husband. And <sighs> so she's forever stuck as an opera singer. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Oh, and I yes, just don't like yeah. the way it's shown. I don't mm-hmm. I like yes, you, all these things you're saying are beautiful. But the they're there to be seen, they're there to be enjoyed. They're there but I don't be- enjoy them. I I don't want to be a part of this film. It's, and I would offer that you don't enjoy them because you're afraid to enjoy them. No, it's volatile. It's volatile. It's beautiful. It's beautiful because the pleasure is mixed in with the suffering. They're married, they're wedded. The pleasure, the marriage of pleasure and pain is perfectly displayed for us in this film. Perfectly. And and the psycho magic of reimagining and repurposing the pain that he felt throughout his own his whole life. This pre-war childhood that he had growing up in this Chilean fishing port. I mean, he could have like so many directors before him chose to to explore the the hatred he had for his father, but he chose yep. to explore the forgiveness he had yep. of his father. Yep. I yep. mean, it, this is yep. this is humanity. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's showing humanity, and and he and it's it's the most beautiful healing story I've ever seen. And and where it all starts for me was on the beach with the kid, and how he talks about how. He chose, he could either choose to feel more of the anguish for the sardines Mm -hmm. or the joy for the gulls. And those are the two choices you have in life, the female and the masculine energies. He could be like his father and he could choose to focus on the negative, which is that these fish are all dead. Or he can be like his mother and choose to focus on the positive, which is that these starving birds get to eat. No, I totally agree. Totally the choice agree. is there to be yeah, made, yeah. and it's it's either you go down the positive one or the negative one. I mean, I could go forever, guys, but we unfortunately have to have a limited version of this conversation. You know what? We'll save the rest for when Brion Davis comes on the show on Tuesday. We're looking at we'll get together and decide a, a time. But I'm going to give the floor to Aaron and Chris just to wrap us up up with this conversation. We have three minutes, guys. Chris, please. I've, I have nothing. Else. I this this movie this movie like there's a reason that like Jodorowsky is who he is, and I get that. I I, I like I said, I will remember this movie forever, or in, or until we see another Jodorowsky movie that I deem better. But for me, this movie just it's it's not for me. It's it's not meant for my consumption, and I get that. I fully get what he's trying to do. I get the sim the the imagery he's trying to do. I get the metaphor. I get all of these things. But like, I don't, I don't understand Yudorosi's decision to like share that with us. I see that it's, it's, it's entirely transformative for him, but like, I do not connect with this at all. Like I yeah, don't, some I, will, Many some will. will. No, Many I, I, I that, with that, with that forgiveness that he's exploring with, with that healing yeah. he's exploring. And that, that's why I gave it a 7.4. But you guys think, say that he's doing it for himself. Like it's a selfish thing. This is not a selfish act. This is a selfless act. He's putting himself out there, in my opinion. I, I get that. I, I think he's. I, I I disagree. I I I think he's being very selfish in how he's doing this. And like, I guarantee, if you, I, I I'd love to. I'd love to like go in the background of this and just like figure out what it was like to make this film because I feel like all of these choices, like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Synecdoche, New York, he was just making it up as he went along, and like the the cut of this movie in the editing room is him is, is really his final therapy session. And like, I, I could have, I could have gone so many different ways with this, but like, 
it's it's just it's not for me. I I don't know how to say it. It, it is just not for me. I totally respect that. I totally respect that. And I'm just thank you, thankful that you guys tried and that you endured this. Yeah. Film. I, I mean, I won't do this to you guys again. But <clears throat> I'm not saying I really that, have, I, I'm not saying I don't want to do this again. It's just I recognize that this film is not for me. Like it's I I, yeah. I get it. Fair enough. It's not for everyone. I mean, I think I maybe resonate with it maybe more than some because I'm fascinated by certain elements that maybe you need to be initiated into in order to fully enjoy this film, which is like tarot. There's lots of tarot reference, psychomagic, psychology, sociology, uh, um, esoteric ideas, uh, Carl Jung, tons of Jungian ideas of here about death and rebirth. I mean, this is my jam. I study this stuff. That's For why sure. this film is so appealing to me because I study the same thing as Jodorowsky studies. I looked up uh, six years ago what Jodorowsky was reading, and then I read all those books. So I understand that I'm going into this with a predisposition that is oriented towards understanding what he's going for and i can also understand that if those in things don't interest you or if you're not picking on these little picking up on these little nuances that he's referring to tarot here and tarot there that that this on the surface just looks like a torture film or like uh, an exploitative nudity film or whatever you know so 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 thank you guys for trying yeah no problem i mean i perhaps i'm in the same boat as chris you know i'm I'm going through an art museum and I'm looking up at a swirled painting and it doesn't move me and I move on in the gallery and you come by and you see the swirled painting and it means something deeply, you know? So I, I appreciate art and I appreciate what this man did, but um, you know, personally it invokes a reaction inside me that is not, uh enjoyable and, and to it, that i would say embrace the illusion motherfuckers because it's a big illusion and you got to embrace it okay this conversation is being cut short paul you will have more time we will have all more time to, to discuss this when brion davis comes on the show the star of embrace of the serpent will be joining us in just a few days and he watched this film and he messaged me privately saying that he loved it so i'm really excited to get someone on here who can maybe back me up a little bit um and i'm excited to see his perspective on the film and see what he had to say and then we'll of course uh aaron paul and chris will have some questions for him in regards to embrace of the serpent so this show will forever go down the history as the show that yosh got angry a lot uh <laughs> so <laughs> um thank you guys for bearing with me on that and um moving on uh chris can we uh, can we please play the video revealing what our next show is? We totally can. I see a beautiful little town in the midst of magnificent mountains. A place where people have hopes and dreams. I said you could stay here. But I've got nothing to offer him in return. No, I think you have plenty to offer Dogville. We all have the right to make the most of our lives. Stay with us as long as you damn please. Hey, we're looking for somebody. I am in a position to offer a considerable reward. 
But you think we should give sanctuary to a fugitive? I wasn't trying to fool anyone. God only knows what that woman is capable of. I really don't want to put any of you in jeopardy. You're one of us now. Dogville, has it got your food yet? People are the same all over. Greedy as animals. If people in this town don't like me, there's nothing I can do about that. Douglas got everything you ever dreamed of. Ο αδερφός σας πέθανε. Ένα πλάσμα σαν αυτό που εισέβαλε σήμερα στον κήπο τον διαμέλυσε. Το ζώο που μας απειλεί λέγεται γάτα. Είναι το πιο επικίνδυνο ζώο που υπάρχει. Όσο βρίσκεστε μέσα δεν κινδυνεύετε. Μόνο τότε ο οργανισμός είναι έτοιμος να αντιμετωπίσει όλους τους κινδύνους που παραφυλάνε. Όταν κάνει παιδιά να πάρουν τα λάθο ερεθίσματα και να δημιουργήσουν το λάθο χαρακτήρα. Πραγματικά σου το εύχομαι. I'm not 18. Oh my god. I'm not 18. Oh Jesus. You guys are stressing me out with these movies. There's a crisis in the White House. What's the crisis? And the president's top advisors have been called together. Oh Jesus. Sexual misconduct occurred inside the Oval Office. With the election only days away, how much will this scandal affect the outcome? The president spent the weekend pressing the flash. He wasn't campaigning, he was dating, actually. Now, Washington's top spin doctor. We can distract the press for 11 days till the election. I think we got a chance. Has an idea. Yeah, this is where I put it. We're gonna have the appearance of a war. But he can't pull it off without Hollywood's top producer. Uh, do I know you? We have some mutual friends in Washington. Why come to me? We want you to produce. You want me to produce your war? Not a war, it's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. New Line Cinema presents. How close are you to this? What do you want the kid to say? All the spectacle. I know we're all concerned for the president. I know we're all concerned for the president. I know uh, that we are all concerned for the president. He didn't, he didn't sell the line. All the drama. The president's going to go to war with Albania in about 30 minutes. Albania's hard to ride. These are chips. We need it for the armed position on the street. It'll be a kit and we'll punch it in later, right? And all the effects of real war. Okay, put the, the village behind her. Give me some sound of screaming. Without the casualties. America has seldom <laughs> witnessed a more poignant picture of... They used the same process with the last Schwarzenegger movie. You're the man. Albania, Albania. That rhymes? I can't believe we forgot a hero. It's like we sent him the Christmas card and we left him the Woody God. Fruitcake. There you go. Sergeant Schumann, if I may, welcome to history. 
Oh, yeah. Anybody want a beer? Because I could party. When it's cooking, it's cooking. From Academy Award winning director Barry Levinson. When this goes national, I get to put it on my resume? Actually, no. What, what could they do to me? They come home to your house and kill you. Academy Award winner Dustin Hoffman. This is politics at its finest. Academy Award winner Robert De Niro. How would you like an ambassadorship? <laughs> That's my payoff. Hell, I just do it for a story to tell. Oh, no, you couldn't tell anybody. Listen, I'm just kidding. No, 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 it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a pageant. It's a pageant. That's what it is. Wag the dog. Yeah. When the fit hits the shan, somebody's going to have to stay after school. It's funny after, after film two, I was like, what's left? I'm like, All right, here we go. Wag the dog. Oh. Well, that's in the video. I'm like, where the fuck is that? Uh, okay, it's the year right. of the dog on Dead Cinema Society 15. <clears throat> we have the debut of Lars von Trier in Dogville, the debut of Nicole Kidman in Dogville, the debut of Yorgos Lanthimos with Dogtooth, and the debut of Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman with Wag of the Dog. It is the year of the dog, three movies featuring the word dog. Brilliant. Nice. Dogtooth looks brutal. Yorgos is brutal. Yorgos, Have you ever eh? seen the Yorgos movie? Whew. There's the favorite, right? Yeah, the favorite. Um, uh, the one with Colin Farrell. Uh, yeah, the lobster. 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 Lobster is yeah. great. Great film. Great film. All right, guys, I got to go. Um, thanks for uh, a good show, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Sounds good. Bye, buddy. Bye, buddy. Bye.